Gives a description of a yogi. Yukta he he is called Yukta. He is a yogi, the one who abides in himself. Jnana Vijnana Traptatma, one whose mind is completely content with the knowledge of who he is, the knowledge that I am Brahman, I am limitless. In that knowledge, one is completely contented. Kutastaha, therefore, his mind is free from any reactions. Even though there may be objects and things around or there may be events which normally would provoke somebody to reaction, who does the hair? He's free from any reaction. Meaning that nothing whatever can disturb the tranquility of his mind. Vijitendriya, he has a complete mastery over his mind and sense organs because all of them the the rajas and tamas, all the the impurities and disturbance or agitations being removed, have become the whole personality has become completely tranquil and therefore totally together with him. Such a person is called Yuktaha, he is called a yogi. Samalvashtashmakanjana. We find that his mind is completely free from these tendencies of acquiring and giving up. When there is an attachment for something, there is a tendency to acquire that. With the aversion for something, a tendency to give it up. Even though outwardly a person may not do that, but inwardly the mind does react. Mind does show the sympathetic response to the things around. Whenever I look upon something as valuable, there is an inclination to acquire it, to get it. When I see something as harmful to me, there will be also a tendency to reject it, get rid of it. But the wise person's mind does not perceive things that way. Because something becomes valuable when I am not valuable to myself, then something gains a value. Or 
when I am in fear of losing something, then something becomes a threat. Therefore, whether something is valuable or something is a threat to me, is all based on my perception of myself. So as my perception of myself changes, how the perception of everything else also changes? <coughs> His perception is that everything is alright as it is, where it is. It is neither valuable nor a threat. And therefore, he is comfortable with the thing, way things are, where they are. <coughs> and describing the same wise person in the next verse, the ninth verse says, Surun Mitra Ryudasina Madhyasthadvesha Bandhushu Sadhushvapijapapeshu Samabuddhir Vishishyade Vishishyade, he excels. Among the yogis also, this person excels. So Lord Krishna says, who is the most exalted even among the yogis? Samabuddhi. So one who has the sameness of the mind, sameness of the vision, with reference to all this, is the most exalted yogi. <coughs> Lord Krishna gives some examples of the people we encounter. <coughs> Earlier, Samaloshtasma Kanchana, when Lord Krishna mentioned a clod of earth, a stone or gold, that represented all the things that we encounter. Now in this verse, different kinds of people are described. So this is what we encounter in the day-to-day life. We encounter people and we encounter other things other than people. The people are live beings and therefore it is more likely that I may react to them. Things are what they are, they do not in themselves push any buttons. But people in fact may push buttons without my doing anything also by their behavior. That means the case, here in this verse mentions different kinds of people that we come across every day. <coughs> suhrut, suhrut means a benefactor. It says, Suhrut pratyapakaram anapeksha upakarta. A person who helps me without any expectation of a return of help is called Suhrut or a benefactor. Because he just helps out of a, a, a out of a motivation to help, and he is not seeking any return in reward. So, <coughs> mitram, mitram means a friend. Snehena upakaraka. A friend helps me also because the affection that he has for me. See, benefactor helps me without any affection, me with a pre-acquaintance also. A suhrut or a benefactor is one who helps me for the sake of helping me, doesn't matter who I am, meaning that he has no previous even acquaintance with me, doesn't even know me. Whereas a friend helps me because he has acquaintance, he has affection for me. So that's called mitram. Snehena upakarta. Because of the affection, he helps me. Arihi, an enemy. A fellow is an enemy for no reason at all. Sometimes 
People are enemies for no reason at all. You might say, hey, can there be enemy for a wise person also? Well, there can be. Because a person is enemy, because of what that person is very often rather than what I am. Or maybe I, just by my being here or what I am, maybe I'm invoking something. Sometimes we wind up pushing buttons without doing anything. Just by being there. And we wonder, when people react to us, we wonder, hey, I haven't done anything. So I don't do anything to this person, why do they keep doing that to me? Because perhaps by just being there, you are pushing some buttons. Maybe remind this person of somebody. As a transference, you know. So uh, this person would just react. A new colleague came in the office and this person could not stand, doesn't even know. But then this new person seems to remind her of a sister who was, you know, very cantankerous and very, you know, caused a lot of pain to her. So transference. So she transfers the idea of sister upon this person. And then, in the presence of that person, she becomes a sister as though, and reacts. So sometimes we may become the object of transference by somebody else. It is how somebody perceives us, and that is how maybe somebody just hates you for whatever, no reason at all. Because you worship idols, that's all, there's enough reason to hate you maybe. Because you speak English, there are people who have a problem, you know, why are you speaking this language, why don't you speak Sanskrit, why don't you speak this? So people have some very strong views of how others should be. And when those others do not fulfill those specifications, then they just are angry. They are enemical. And so these Muslims came to India and destroyed all the temples. Why? You fellows are idolaters. You just cannot stand somebody who does not accept your belief, that's all. Destroy them. Enemy. Therefore, there are people, enemy, even for a wise person also, enemies can be there. And what to talk of you and I, of course. But then, the one who is totally harmless. To, for a harmless person also, there can be an enemy because the way he perceives is not what this person is, but the way he is perceived, that is what causes reaction in somebody, and that's how enmity can be there. And so, Arihi, Arihi Shatru, one who harms you without your having done anything is called Shatru or Ari here, enemy. Svabhava Krauri and Apakarta, because the fellow is cruel by nature and therefore without any kind of provocation he harms you. So that is called an enemy. Udasina. Udasina means a person who is neutral. When two other persons are quarreling or two other persons are debating, then a third person is watching them. This third person is Udasina, meaning he is totally neutral, he does not take anybody's side. Never. He doesn't help, nor does he hurt, he lets them do what they do, he is watching them. Udasina. Meaning, a neutral person. Madhyastha. 
Madhyastha is an arbitrator, one who is a, one who is a well-wisher of both. So there are arbiters, you know, when two parties are fighting, two countries are fighting and so forth, and then the third people go there, they wish well of both of them, hopefully, you know. So anyway, so this is politics, you never know who, what, who did. But then, he is called a Madhyastha, or he is called an arbiter, or who arbitrates. When there is difference or quarrel or something between two persons, one who is well-wisher of both of them, he is called Madhyastha. Dvesya, a person who hates me because I did something, you know. An enemy is the one who does harm to me without my having done anything. Whereas the Dvesya, the person who is Dvesya Yogya, a person who deserves being disliked also, or who looks upon me with a dislike, maybe because of something that I did. So that's called Dvesya. Difference between Ari, Shatru, or enemy, and this Dvesya. Dvesya means one who is subject to aversion, or subject to dislike. Suhrun, Mitra, Ari, Udasena, Madhyastha, Dvesya, Bandhu. Bandhu means relatives. For example, father, mother, brother, sister, uncle, cousin, whatever. They are called Bandhu. Swamiji says the relatives, people who are important to you, and therefore who manipulate you, you know, psychologically or emotionally, very often, you know. So people are important to you. Because father is important to you, brother is important to you, cousin. It, in your, when you are growing up, some people just become important to you. And their acceptance is very important to you. Their love becomes very important to you. And very often, therefore, you become subject to being manipulated. Anyway, not that everybody does it, but bandhu means relative. So these are the kinds of people. So different categories of people. Essentially, Lord Krishna includes all categories of people. Now, all these people can be in two categories, sadhu, shuabhi, papeshu. These people can be sadhu. Sadhu is shastra vidakari. Person who follows a life as enjoined by the scriptures. Person who follows a life of dharma, or follows a life of righteousness. So, all these people can be categorized as sadhu. Some of them can be sadhu, meaning they are good people or whose conduct is good, whose conduct is in keeping with dharma or righteousness. Papeshu, there are others who violate the injunctions of scriptures. That's how the mind is. Some minds are very peculiar. They just cannot follow the rule. That's all. The moment the rule comes, they revolt. People have different kinds of problems. Some people have problems with authority. Moment authority comes, maybe because of father or whatever it is, and then moment somebody tries to control you, tells you something, <coughs> you react. These people have a lot of problems in their workplace because they cannot tolerate the boss. <laughs> Who is supposed to be tolerated anyway? But then he's an authority figure. And there is some, some allergy for authority figure. And so, then also, uh, all kinds of things happen. So, sadhu, shabhija, papeshu, and therefore, you wind up doing something that is improper. And so, 
All the people that we come across are different kinds of people. They can be further categorized as sadhu or good people or vicious people. So, sadhu shu apicha, there is a and, which means if anybody else, in case somebody is not included, somebody says, then you know, somebody can find a different category. But how about this? You know, that you did not mention. So, Lord Krishna and, meaning that anybody else who is not specifically mentioned here. The, the reason why so many people are mentioned is to really become, to include everybody. But there could be other people also who are not included in this category and include them. Every, anybody that the person comes across. Samabuddhi, that's what he was, he is even minded. He's even minded many. He looks upon all of them equal. He looks upon all of them as equal. He looks upon all of them as same. He does not in his mind distinguish between them. He appreciates, of course, we, he, he understands that this is a friend, this is an enemy, this is a person who hates me, or whatever, or this is a person who is a relative, meaning that he perceives all the differences. He is capable of making note of all the differences very well. But whereas my mind will react, my friend, and I want to hug the person. He's an enemy, then I behave differently. With each of them I behave differently. Each of them invokes a different response from me. Because I look upon them all as different from each other, as well as different from me. So see the difference between a wise person and an otherwise person. So these characters are described so that we can also mold ourselves accordingly. What is spontaneous or, or effortless for the person becomes something to be cultivated by effort on the part of the seekers. <clears throat> so usually when I come across different people, I react to them differently. Because I see them as different from each other as well as, as different from me. And therefore, the relationship of attachment and aversion will automatically arise depending upon how I evaluate them, how I judge them. What about this wise person? Samaha, Sarvatra, Raga, Dvesha, Shunyaha. None of these people create either Raga or attachment in him or Dvesha aversion in him. Even an enemy also does not create aversion. Or friend also does not create attachment. Love, yes. All we can say is that his love is freed from these reactions of likes and dislikes. Therefore, you expect this person to love everybody equally. The word love is not specifically mentioned here. But then, it need not be mentioned because love is our nature. <clears throat> And even if he dislikes something, if there is attachment or aversion, in both of them there is only expression of love. Except that the love is somewhat distorted. Attachment also is distorted love, aversion also is distorted love, anger also, everything is nothing but expression of love. Except that in many cases the love becomes distorted because of ignorance, because of, uh, as I said, creating differences, because of my perception. So when this person does not react to anybody, meaning none of these either invoke attachment or aversion in him, that means that he loves equally without any condition, unconditional love. I also love, but conditionally. 
If you love me, then I love you. If you hate me, then I hate you. That is how I behave. That's how an ordinary person behaves. But no. What happens is because it takes something to invoke my love. Everything does not invoke my love. My love gets invoked only when I'm accepted. When I feel that you accepted me, then I become free. I become free from my sense of reservation, etc. And my nature comes out. You may feel that you are rejecting me somehow. Then my love becomes constricted, you know, it doesn't come out. Here this wise person doesn't, doesn't need for being accepted. Therefore, doesn't have any problem with being rejected. Regardless of how the other person is, his love is equally a way of accept, I mean, a way expressed to everybody. Samabuddhi Vishishyade. Lord Krishna says that among the yogis also, this is the most exalted yogi. <clears throat> Understand, this is the goal of our life. This is called moksha. So these last three verses that we read, in fact, describe moksha. A person who is liberated while living. And understand that each one of us is seeking to be this. Knowingly or unknowingly, this is what we want to be. Not knowing what we are actually, what actually we want. Not having clarity of what we want. We do all kinds of things ourselves and we become, you know, we become wealthier than what we are, etc. All kind of things I do to myself, hoping that I'll become like this. Understand that the desire behind all the desires, constantly I'm trying to become something. Because I am not satisfied with the way I find myself to be, and therefore there is an urge in me to change, uh, to, to what? So that I become this. But I do not know what this is. Therefore I think that if I become wealthy, then I'll be this. If I become important or powerful, then I, that is how the material goals become important to a person really. Because of lack of understanding of what he really wants. As you said, wealth, everything has, an, has a certain usefulness in our life and there's no problem with that. <coughs> but this person, in fact, superimposes much more value to this thing than they really, they really possess. That is what the problem is. Everything has a certain usefulness, everything has a certain value and that we should respect everything. However, because of our own insecurity, our own needs, we superimpose a lot, we overvalue things. That is when things become problems. This person, his perception is that he recognizes also the person behind the personality. All the description is Suhrut, Mitra, Ari, Udasina, a benefactor, a friend, an enemy, an, an indifferent person. All of these really are the descriptions of the personality, descriptions of what we call the costume. The person who is behind this personality is the same, is myself. So when thus there is a knowledge of the distinction between the person and personality, meaning that 
I myself do not evaluate myself based on my personality, but I know I evaluate myself be, be, being the person that I am. There is co-knowledge. Jnana, Vijnana, Triptatma, and knowing that I am person, I am consciousness, I am ever free, gives me complete contentment with myself. And I recognize that there is a true nature of everybody. He recognizes that the distortions of personality are all due to ignorance. And even if the person is a, declare, is, 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 a, is a vicious enemy, but even there also, that, that the same consciousness or the same purusha, the same perfection is there. And wise person is able to perceive that also. Not only he perceives the personality, also perceives the person, because that is his own self. And therefore, he looks at other people, not based on the costume that they are wearing, but based on what they really are. Therefore, samabuddhi, in fact, everybody is the same. Everybody is that person. Everybody is consciousness. Or, everybody is in fact, as we said, a good, kind, loving person, as you call him. Samabuddhi, which is therefore, samabuddhi, he has his buddhi, he has his knowledge, or his perception is the same for all of them. So we have Lord Krishna, Lord Shiva having three eyes. With the two eyes you can say that Lord Shiva perceives this world of names and forms, all the, the variety and this differences and disparities are perceived. With the third eye he perceives what is the content or essence of his changes. That there is a unity in diversity. That there is the eternal, which is the substratum of all the changes. And so the one who is able to perceive that, that's the third eye. That's the eye in the forehead. That's called the eye of knowledge. Whether or not an actual eye is there, but a wise person also has his third eye. You can call it the Pashyanti Jnana Chakshusha. The 15 chapter says, Vimudaha Nanu Pashyanti Pashyanti Jnana Chakshusha. Those who are deluded, deluded. They do not see, but the jnana chakshusha, those who have the eyes of wisdom, they see. <clears throat> and basically, as I said, when my perception about myself undergoes a complete transformation, then my perception of others also will undergo the same transformation. Some of the trees are equal to him, as Lord Krishna will describe subsequently. He knows them as equal to him. Samabuddhi Vishishyade. The fifth chapter also said, Nirdosham Hisamam Brahma. Fifth chapter also, Lord Krishna described wise men in a similar manner. Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmane Gavihastini Suricheva Svapagecha Panditaha Samadarshina. Whether there is a pious person called a Brahmana, or there is a cow, or an elephant, or a dog, or a very impure person, you may call him a sinner, whoever it is. Panditaha, Panditaha, Samadarshinaha. The wise, they always see the sameness in all of them. In all the dissimilarities, they see the same. Just as all the ornaments are dissimilar, how the goldsmith sees the same gold in them. And so also the wise person sees the same person in all of them. <coughs> so these first verses, ten verses, are meant to tell, give us, tell us briefly what is, who is a yogi? 
meaning who is a wise person. And how do you become a yogi? It also was stated, Uddharet Atmana Atmanam. May you save yourself, lift yourself by yourself. How do you do that? Yoga Rudhatvam Asadhyaya. Having become a yoga Rudha, having gained the qualification or capacity to be able to focus your mind. So first gain the capacity to be able to focus your mind. And then use that capacity to lift yourself by yourself. How do you gain the capacity to focus the mind? By Karma Yoga. Therefore, the first two verses praised or extolled Karma Yoga by equating a Karma Yogi with a sannyasi and a Yogi. The third verse told us that the Karma Yoga is necessary only until you gain Yoga, you gain the Vairagya, you gain the dispassion, you gain also the clarity and focus of the mind. And then Karma is no more necessary. Then what you should do? Then you should focus your total attention on lifting yourself by yourself. Because if you don't do that, your mind itself will become your enemy. If you do that, your mind will become your friend. This who has made the mind a friend and gained a complete master of oneself, how is that person? That was described in the last few verses. <coughs> Thereby giving us a picture of an ideal person. As I said, it is not that we have a choice in becoming this. We have no choice. We have to become this. <clears throat> because the human mind will not be satisfied with anything other than this, anything less than this. Thus we have to become Jivan Mukta, we have to become liberated while living. And for that, the picture of such a person was given. So now what do we do? So now Lord Krishna prescribes what a yogi should do, what an aspirant should do in order to achieve and in order to become that. So, from the 11th verse now, actual instruction about the yoga or meditations begin. <coughs> Let us read the 11th verse, no, 10th uh, verse, sorry, from 10th verse. Yogi yunjita satatam Atmanam Rahasisthitaha Ekakiyata Chittatma Nirashira Parigraha Lord Krishna says, Yogi Yunjita Sadadam Yogi means one who has gained the capacity. He has not yet become a yogi, but one who has gained the capacity to be able to focus his mind. Having gained that capacity, now don't waste your time with anything else. That's what Lord Krishna says. Yoga Arudasya Tasseva Shamah Karanamuchyate When you achieve a state called Yoga Arudhatvam, when you achieve a capacity of the mind wherein you have a control over your mind, and you have the capacity now to focus your mind on the object of meditation. That now you are able to meditate. And you do not anymore need the activity, the level of body or the speech. Then Shamakkara Lord Krishna said that now give up all activities. 
give up all your duties, give up everything. It is not so much giving up of something, of embracing this. So now that you have your mind under your control, that the mind has become a friend of yours, your personality has become composed, and therefore it is favorable to you, it is available to you, then now use your personality for the second stage of helping yourself. So first stage of lifting myself by myself is karma yoga. The second stage of lifting myself by myself is dhyana yoga, which ultimately will culminate into the abidance in the knowledge, which is the ultimate in helping myself. <coughs> so now Lord Krishna says, yogi yunjita satatam, satatam all the time. So, Yoga Shastra says that for you to accomplish anything, three things are required. The practice should be done for a long time. It should be done constantly. It should be done with devotion or commitment. So, a practice will yield desired results when that practice is done dirgakalam for a long time nairantariya constantly and adarenasaha it is done with adara meaning with respect with commitment with uh, enthusiasm <coughs> so Lord Krishna that is what Lord Krishna in fact suggests here by the youth of satatam constantly Lord constantly long time with enthusiasm, commitment, knowing that this is what I need to do. Now having developed the conviction that this is what I need to do, that this is what is now going to give rise to what I am seeking in my life, that I want to be abiding in my knowledge and therefore this is a way of means of doing that. So therefore it gives you also that enthusiasm. Yogi Yunjita Satam Atmanam The yogi of the aspirant should constantly, Atmanam, Atma here means his antahkaranam, his mind, Yunjita, may the yogi or may the aspirant constantly focus his mind upon the object of meditation. Here in the sixth chapter, the object of meditation is my own self, but it could be anything. So this description here can apply to meditation upon a chosen object of meditation. It can be Devata, it can be Deity, it can be Lord Lakshanamurti, it can be Lord Shiva, it can be Lord Krishna, whoever you want. It's the one's choice. It will be that Deity for which I have devotion, I have reverence. And therefore, the very thought of the Deity invokes from me a devotee. So when we have this, when our meditation is of the nature of mental worship, then worship should be preferably be performed by a devotee. So even though mentally, even when mentally I am worshipping my chosen deity called Ishtadevaka, a devotee or bhakta should be invoked from me. Then he worships the deity mentally by visualizing his form, by visualizing the name, by maintaining a devotional attitude. <coughs> so whatever it is that you want to achieve, 
You want to achieve oneness, so that little child asked me, yes, last night, how come Lord does not interact with me? This fellow. How come Lord does not talk? Suppose that's what you want. <clears throat> you want that Lord should talk to you. You want that you want to communicate with him. Fire. Keep that as a goal. And do what is necessary to do. Meditation is, when it comes to Saguna Brahma, when it comes to Ishwara with attributes, it is of the nature of worship. There is a duality of a devotee and Ishwara or God there, which is quite okay, worship. Except that the devotee seeks to identify with the, with the, with the Ish Lord or Devata with whom he is worshipping. And so, do that for a long time. Whatever goal we have, a worthy goal should be there. Such a worthy goal should be there which can always inspire us. And so, satatam atmanam yunjita. May you constantly concentrate or focus your mind upon your chosen object of meditation. <clears throat> With self, fine. In the context of Bhagavad Gita, the object of meditation is my own self because as we said in the first five chapters, Lord Krishna has unfolded the nature of self. And in the last three verses also, in description of the wise person, in a way, the nature of the self and nature of knowledge also is unfolded. Whatever inspires you, important thing is, something should inspire me. Something should create an enthusiasm in me. Something should create a commitment in me, then alone that thing will work. Then alone I will have the incentive to do it for a long time and do it constantly because I, I, I love to do that. Or I, at least I am keenly interested in the outcome. I want that. Like a boy wants to go to medical school, okay. Then he must, what is MCAT, whatever the exam is, you know, he must score, he must get this course. That's all. Or you want to go to a good school, college, SAT exam, whatever it is. You, you so I want to go to Harvard, Swami, all right. What do you need? From 1600, 1550 out of 1600, now it's 2400, whatever it is. That's what you need, the score, all right. Work hard, he plans. How many hours is required, what is done? So it is that goal which in fact enthuses him. If what I want to achieve is inspiring me, something very important to me. Therefore we should discover the importance of this. Not just do because my mother told me and because my somebody told me. Also it's good, do that. But basically we should discover a value for that. If it is the most important thing in my life, then automatically my mind will be devoted to that. The mind is naturally devoted to whatever it considers most important. If this picture of this Jivan Muktaha, the liberated while living, the moksha, which was given in the last three chapters, if that really, you know, you think that is a great thing, that is the most important thing, all right, work for that. <clears throat> Depends. No, no, I want to, Swamiji, I want to know, I want to have experience or I want to have darshan of Lord Krishna, okay? But not just a casual interest, because that will not support us, or that will not help us too long. It must be a burning desire. 
That is what is meant by Adara in Yoga Shastra. Do it for a long time, constantly, and with a with an enthusiasm and commitment and devotion. <coughs> then alone what Lord Krishna says there will be will make sense. Satadam, do it all the time. Rahasisthidaha. Then Lord Krishna also to to help. Primarily, Lord Krishna says, Yogi Junjita Sadam Atmanam. What is said in the first quarter of the verse is the main thing here, that the yogi or the aspirant, may he or she constantly focus the mind upon the chosen object of meditation. Upon chosen goal. In life also, number one, there should be a goal. A worthy goal. And that goal must be very important to me. And therefore I should discover also a commitment to that. With that commitment, then may you completely devote yourself in the pursuit of a goal. <coughs> Here, inasmuch as process is dhyana yoga or meditation, therefore, Lord Krishna gives a few hints here as to what would be helpful in meditation. So first thing, Lord Krishna says, Rahasisthitaha. May you meditate in a place of solitude. Rahasisthitaha. Ekandisthitaha. In solitude. Giri Guhalau Shankarajari says, like in a mountain cave, etc. You know, the idea is that you want to be free from any disturbance, external disturbances. That's all. What is meant by solitude is that we should choose a place and hopefully a time also wherein our mind can remain free from external disturbances. Swamiji, what to talk of my house? Six o'clock, that's it, this is a chaos. All right, then five o'clock. <laughs> Before the chaos starts. There's no place in my house which can be called solitude. Choose a time. Before everybody wakes up. So this lady tells me, Swamiji, we have the Gita Vichara group of two persons, my friend and myself. And we meet Saturday morning at seven o'clock when nobody, her husband also has not woken up, my husband also has not woken up. That's it. That gives you solitude. Otherwise all kinds of, you know, things will be there. Where is coffee? Where is this? Where is that? Where is the breakfast? Etc. But before these things happen, so important is that that uh, when and where you are performing meditation, that time and place should be free from external disturbances. <clears throat> because as yet the mind is not such that we can remain, you know, we can remain undisturbed in spite of disturbances. The mind is likely or subject to be disturbed. Therefore, choose a place and time which is free from disturbance. <clears throat> then, how to avoid internal disturbances? Rahasis ekaki, also external disturbance. Lord Krishna says this, ekaki, may you be by yourself, that's all. So, be, be by yourself, do the meditation. But so how about my spouse? No, yourself. How about my child? No. So they also can become sources of disturbance to you. Even if they don't disturb your mind, may think about them. Oh, what is it doing? Ah. 
Therefore, no, Ekaki. So choose a place and time which is free from all haunts and noises and all, all kinds of things. And also be by yourself so that you are not disturbed by the thoughts of those who are near and dear ones because you get concerned about them. Ekaki. <clears throat> now, talking about the freedom from internal disturbances. Lord Krishna says, Nirashihi. You remain free from any longing. Let the mind be free from any longing or desire. <clears throat> Therefore, tell your mind that there is nothing to be achieved as a result of this meditation. There is something to own up, but there is nothing to be accomplished. Therefore, let the mind not have any expectation of a reward as a result of performing this meditation. Otherwise, when reward is coming, then mind always thinks of reward. It's more important. Reward is important. So when the child is told, okay, if you do this little task, you'll get a candy. He knows the jar of candy, where the candies are. So doing that, he keeps looking there only, you know. Because doing is not important, candy is important. So when our mind has some desire or expectation, then the mind keeps on thinking about the object of desire. Lord Krishna nirashihi, no desire, no expectation. Lord Krishna says that again and again. May you focus your attention on what you are doing rather than what it will bring to you. Don't seek any gratification from this. Don't seek any experience from this. Don't seek anything like that. Nirashi, free from expectation, free from any desires, free from any personal gratification. Aparigraha, don't keep anything with you that you do not need. Parigraha means possession. So Aparigraha also is one of the values that Yogi Shastra teaches. Aparigraha, non-holding. Holding means collecting things and having things which are of no use to you also. Lot of things. We, we keep on, why? I mean, you know, because at that time it, was, it appeared to be useful. Later on you don't find much interest. And that's how when you change the house then you find out how many things have been collected. When you came into a house, a new hall was enough. When you're leaving the house, you need a huge trailer, you know, now. Things are piled up. Anyway, this possession also is a source of disturbance to the mind. Because what happened to that thing, you know? Where is that? Suppose you have a few things with you, you are concerned about, about their being there and their being safe. Oh, did somebody take it away? Is it all right? Is it lost? Is it broken? Forget it. Therefore, don't keep anything other than what you need for your meditation. <clears throat> you do need a few things for meditation. You need a seat and you need maybe a mala if you want, or what a few things you need. Other than that, aparigraha. So thus, making the mind free from external as well as, so desire is an internal disturbance. Concern for my possession also an internal disturbance. Poor possessions don't disturb me, but I get disturbed because of my concern for them. Ekaki, even people around me also can be source of my disturbance because of my concern for them. Therefore, may keep yourself free from any kind of causes for concern.
Yada Chittatma. And the next step is Yada Chittatma. One become one whose mind as well as body are under control. Already he required, we say he is Yoga Rudha, meaning his mind is already his friend. And therefore he doesn't need a great effort to bring the mind and body and sense organs also under control. <coughs> Having done this, then next verse gives us some other details. Lord Krishna does not give every detail, but some broad details are given about the place, about the way of sitting, how should you sit, where should you sit, how should you sit, what rules should you, should you observe in your diet, in your movements, in your activities. So all of these Lord Krishna wants to tell us. Lord Krishna wants to tell us what should be the kind of lifestyle that you should have which is compatible to this yoga, meditation. What kind of postures etc. should be there or what kind of seed etc. should be there, what kind of place should be there which is conducive for meditation. So these basic instructions Lord Krishna gave us. <coughs> that starts from the verse 11, 11th verse says, Shuchau deshe pratishthapya Sthiramasana matmanah Natyuchitam natinicham Chailajina kushottaram Next verse also will be Tatraika Grammanah Kritva Yata Chitta Indriyakriya Upavishyasane Yunjad Yoga Matma Vishuddhaye Pratishthapya, very well establishing. Atmana asanam sthiram pratishthapya, very well establishing one's own seat. The word asanam has two meanings. Asanam can be a seat. Asyate asminiti asanam, that in which one seat sits is called asanam. So seat is asanam. Like a little mat, etc., as Lord Krishna describes, that, that also can be asanam. Other meaning of asanam is a posture, like yoga asana, different postures. So that also is asanam. Posture of the body also is asanam. <coughs> Here Lord Krishna does not much talk about the posture of the body. The Yoga Shastra says, sthiram sukham asanam. You should have developed a capacity of sitting in a given posture, comfortably, without movement, for a given length of time. The purpose of yoga asanas is, at least in yoga shastra, is to develop the capacity of sitting in a given posture, without movement, steadily, for a given length of time. 
So that body is not an issue, that's all. If Atma has to become an issue, nothing else should remain an issue. So first of all, Lord Krishna removed other issues. Disturbances coming from elsewhere, so he said, in a, in a, in a solitude, place of solitude. Other relatives, ekaki by yourself. Your possession is without possession. Your expectation without expectation. The body can also be an issue because it keeps on bothering me. Therefore, yogasanas are required so that the body does not remain an issue. You should be able to sit comfortably in a given posture, steadily, without, I mean, for a given length of time. So that during that time at least, the body does not become an obstacle to you, does not become an issue. <clears throat> Here Lord Krishna says, Atmana asanam sthiram pratishthapya Very well, establish your seat. Atmana asanam, your seat. So let everybody have their own seat. That mat. Now, there need not be a common mat. Everybody should have their own mat. Atmana asanam, one's own mat, one's own seed. <coughs> Pradishthapya, very well establishing where Shuchavudeshe, in a place which is clean. In a clean place. Preferably not only clean, but in a place which also has a certain sanctity. So cleanliness is one thing, and sanctity is another thing. So when you go to a temple, not only it is clean, but there is also sanctity. So yesterday a child was asking me, Swami, why should I go to temple? Because of the atmosphere that prevails in a temple, because there is sanctity, and therefore our mind has a positive influence. Sucha Udeshe Pratishthapya, therefore you arrange your asana with the seat or the mat in a clean and a sacred place. Where do you get such a place, Swami? You create a place. So we can create a place by reserving one corner of the house or a place in the house where only this is done, meditation, and nothing else is done. Don't use that place for eating and doing any other thing. Just use it for that purpose only. And when you meditate or perform your prayers, then that place also becomes a little sanctified on account of what you are doing there. So the place also creates, has a certain atmosphere. So establishing your seat or mat in that place, natyochitam, natinitam, choose a place which is not too high, not too low. Very deep in the basement, it may be very damp, etc. Avoid that. Too high may be very cold, a little lot of breeze, avoid that. Natyochitam, natinitam. Not too high, not too low. Sometimes it is also interpreted as not too elevated. Meaning, suppose you go to the mountains in Himalayas. Go to a very high peak like 9000 feet which will be very difficult because very cold and windy. And the air is very thin, therefore it is difficult to breathe. Or you go way down in the valley where the air may be thick and damp which also may not be comfortable. Therefore, choose a location which is not too high, not too low. So in Himalayas, people go to Uttarkashi. Uttarkashi has an elevation of about 3000 feet, which is considered to be a very suitable location or elevation for meditation because the air is, is 
Not that thin, it's already good. And the same, not too cold, not too hot, and an ideal atmosphere. So, nyat yutsitam, nyat Then how should that match be? Lord Krishna says, chaila jina kushottaram. Chailam means a soft cloth. Ajinam is soft skin of an animal. And kusha means the uh, kusha grass. So first let there be a mat of kusha grass. Upon that let there be a soft skin, animal skin like a deer. Upon that let there be a soft cloth. This is what Lord Krishna says. I mean it's up to our choice. But in general, they, they, they say that all of these are specified because uh, the energy that is created in you because of meditation do not want to be drained away or, and conducted away. Therefore, they have this uh, animal skin. That's what they do. Also, they use this uh, mat of kusha grass to uh, help you keep away from dampness, etc. And also sometimes animal skin keeps some insects also away. But at the same time on the top, there is soft cloth. Because otherwise those things may be irritating your skin. So, whatever is convenient to you, choose a mat. Don't bother about, you know, Swami, but I don't have animal skin. Don't worry. Don't postpone it for that purpose, you know. So, whatever mat you are using, use it. Tatra Upavishya, second line says Upavishya, being, huh? no, at the end, let us finish this. Upavishya means uh, being I mean, seated, so sit on this asana. Suchodeshe pratishthapya sthiramasana mahatmanah, natu chritam, nasini natinicham, chailajana kasottaram, tatra Upavishya. The second line of the twelfth verse says, Upavishya means seated. So they prescribe that the meditation should be preferably performed while being seated. Seated in a comfortable posture. There are certain postures, yoga postures, which are prescribed for meditation. Like lotus posture, Padmasana, and Siddhasana, and Vajra. Some of the asana, other postures are prescribed. But then, I mean, it is not necessary, it is not absolutely necessary that you have to have that posture. Those postures have a certain benefit. Like when you sit in a lotus posture, then the, uh, you know, there is pressure on the thighs, and apparently the blood circulation in the lower part of the body will be reduced, so more blood will be available for circulation in the upper part of the body, and things like that. So, these are some of the considerations because of which, I guess, they prescribe certain postures for meditation. Upavishya seated in a posture which is comfortable to you. Ekagram manah krutva manah ekagram krutva Now may you focus, concentrate your mind on your object of meditation. Yada chittendriya kriyaha Become one who has controlled the chitta meaning mind in an indriya kriyaha one who has controlled the mind as well as the activities of sense organs. The idea is that the organs of perception also are now located only in the locuses 
they are free from their activities. Organs of action also are free from their activities. So disengage the organs of action and perception from their respective activities. So let them become quiet. So let the organs of action and perception become quiet. <coughs> let the mind become quiet. Later on, Lord Krishna will tell us also how to quieten the mind. But basically, we will make your mind free from likes and dislikes. Make the mind quiet. And concentrating your mind on the object of meditation. Yogam yunjyat. One should now do this yoga, meaning one should perform this meditation. For what purpose? Lord Krishna says, Atma Vishuddha. For the purification of mind. So here, the purpose of meditation is not for accomplishing something which I don't have. Not for becoming something that I am not. This meditation is meant for owning of what I am. Knowing fully well that I am what I am seeking to be. That I do not need anything other than myself to be complete. I do not need anything other than myself to be totally contented. All that I need is a mind which enjoys purity, meaning that whatever obstructions are there, they should be removed so that myself becomes, myself becomes totally manifest, paramatma samahitaha. So with this understanding, a yogi performs a meditation not for achieving or accomplishing anything. Atma merely for purification of mind. Whatever remnants of ego are left, whatever things are left out of ignorance, he wants to completely remove them so that he gains an abidance in his knowledge. <clears throat> so thus, in these verses, Lord Krishna begins the instructions on meditation and gives us some important hints. There are texts where many more details are given. The Lord Krishna gives us a few outlines here, important outlines. We'll continue. <coughs> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantavunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om